Welcome to the Work Positive Podcast with your host, executive coach and culture architect, Dr. Joey Fawcett. Discover strategies and tactics that work positive as Dr. Joey talks with industry leaders who create a positive work culture that attracts top talent and reduces team turnover. Discover how you can create a work positive culture that increases productivity and profits. Here's your host, Dr. Joey. Hey, Work Positive Nation, do you ever think of yourself as a superhero? What? You don't? Come on now. Oh, okay. Your boss expects you to be a superhero, but you're not so sure you are, right? Well, what if I told you that within you are superhero qualities and that every day you can be a superhero in creating a positive work culture right there where you work. You don't have to participate in the great resignation. You don't have to quietly quit as if there really were such a thing. You can be an everyday superhero right where you are. What? You don't think you can? Well, after this episode of the Work Positive Podcast, you'll know you can because the author of Everyday Superhero... I've always wanted to do that. Almost like an NBA announcer. Uh, Mm -hmm. How you can inspire everyone and create real change at work is here. He is Duke University's Fuqua School of Business professor, a research fellow at Duke Corporate Education. Uh, He's such a slacker. I mean, he was only the founding member of the IBM Global Services Strategy and Change Consulting Practice. He only has written for HBR more times than I can count. The Financial Times, Strategy and Business, and Dialogue. Uh, he's published not only Everyday Superhero, the one we'll talk about today, but he's got another book as well. You're going to love this podcast. He came from Ireland today. Tony O'Driscoll is my guest on this episode of the Work Positive Podcast. Tony, I'm excited, in case you can't tell, to have you on today. Thanks so much. Good to see you, Joey. How are you? I am doing well. Uh, it turns out Tony and I hang out in some of the same places in terms of we really enjoy Eastern North Carolina barbecue. So if you want to email me at drjoey at workpositive.today, I'll be glad to give you a list of great barbecue restaurants that Tony and I particularly enjoy. So <laughs> speaking of positive work culture, right? That would be positive if your boss served you Eastern North Carolina style barbecue mm-hmm. every day. Without Tony, tell us. What is an everyday superhero? An everyday superhero is somebody who innately can figure out the qualities of others and create a deliberately developmental path for them to travel on. Oh, wow. Let's unpack that a little bit. So someone who can innately. Mm -hmm. What is that? Yeah, I think that's it. I think it's somebody who truly, uh, you know, you've got two ears and one mouth for a reason, who can kind of listen and empathize and fully Mm -hmm. understand um, not just what somebody's good at, I mean, that's skills. And to a certain extent, I think a lot of what we do in hiring today, and I think we've gone the wrong way with that, with automation of hiring. And now we have kind of keywords, and then we have keyword writers, and then we have AI that reads the resumes and so on and so forth that we've Mm -hmm. uh, We've kind of over-rotated on this whole skill keyword bingo game. And what I'm finding, you know, you mentioned the great resignation and this and that. Is it happening? Is it not? You know, I think inflation, the economy, all that stuff has has something to do with that. Mm. But at the end of the day, my one-liner on this, Joey, is meaning is the new money. I work with students all the time. And today, they really want to feel a sense of belonging in where they work. And they want to feel a shared sense of aspiration about what the work is seeking to accomplish and it needs to be something bigger than 
yourself. It needs to have a just cause, as Simon Sinek would call it, or, a, a, you know, your vocation. It's your calling. Mm. Uh, I, I think that, you know, I've been teaching at Duke for, what, 20 years now. And mm. certainly, you know, back in my day, when we were talking about state and tech, and I was an engineer undergrad, <laughs> it, was, right. it was largely driven by, what you know, what job pays you the most money, if I'm mm-hmm. quite that was kind of like, what major can I take uh, that I can get into that will pay mm-hmm. me the most money? That was kind of the algorithm that was at play when I was going through school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't see that today with students. I think it's more, you know, what difference do I want to make and where might I be given permission to do that? So that's why I think meetings the new, mo- new money and aspiration and just cause is a new direction. Mm, um, meaning is a new I, money. I love that. So what I want to do is to find my place within the company and an attachment to a cause that's bigger than me so that I know what I'm doing is connected to the greater good and that the company is actually solving problems or creating solutions to something in the world. So an everyday superhero would help me find that. How do we attract that kind of talent, that top talent who who's asking for that? You say you see it all over the place teaching it mm. to you. How do we attract those persons who are looking for that connection with the greater good? Yeah, this is interesting. So I'll go back to to research from a good friend and colleague, Rob Cross. Um, Rob and I worked together at IBM. He since then went to UVA and is now at Babson. And Rob looks at something called organization network analysis. He looks at kind of there's a formal hierarchy and then there's an informal network. And, and, mm. and we all know that the real work gets done in the informal network. There is a formal hierarchy and you do have a quote unquote boss. However, most of the work really gets done through and around that hierarchy through these informal networks. And so he was he was hired some time ago by one of the largest consultancies on the planet. And they said, look, we have this problem. We have no problem hiring the best MBAs from the best schools that because of the name, brand name of this particular consulting firm. However, what we found is that some teams dramatically outperform others. So even though we're hiring from the best schools, mm. when we get them through our training programs and they go out there and actually try to deliver strategies for clients, we're finding some teams are literally 10x even more better, you know, mm. an order of magnitude better. And we don't know why. Mm. Could you help us figure it out? And uh, Rob, through this work, found out that the answer is energy. 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 So in, in doing this work, he uncovered that it wasn't about you know, how good I am at something. It wasn't about all of these things. It was, who do you get energy working with? And if you can pair people together who kind of, it's almost like together we're better. It's almost like, you know, you pull me further than I'd be willing to go myself. There's all kinds of different ways that people defined what energy was, but there was energy. Uh, That was the primary metric. And then um, I go back further even to Jeff Byam. Jeff uh, uh, wrote a fantastic book called Zap. The Lightning of Empowerment. And in this particular book, there was a realm where you could go into this particular realm and you could see whether people were zappers or sappers. Now, zappers were people who, <laughs> they they hit you with the lightning of empowerment, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas sappers were the ones that kind of were drains of energy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a good friend of mine, Jake Breeden, says, some people walk into a room and light it up. Mm-hmm. And then he says, some people leave a room and light it up. Zappers are the first. Zappers are the first. Right? Zappers hilarious. are the second. Now, the interesting thing in the research is um, that, that uh, there's probably two to three sappers for every zapper. 
Say so, that so, again. Say that again. Two, yeah. Me. So there's two to three sappers for every zapper. It three almost sappers for every zapper. Wow. Yeah. We've got an energy deficit then. We've got it. Absolutely. Now that energy, that energy that is something that I call, it's not just, it's not me. Denny Organ's the guy who kind of, I think, originated. The idea is discretionary effort. So I think that the energy source that's locked up in any institution, organization, Mm-hmm. Or you know, company, university, whatever is something I call discretionary effort. Discretionary effort is what you will do because you want to, not because wow. you're told to. It's what you'll do because you're compelled to, not because you're commanded to. It's inside you. You can't mm-hmm. not do it if you know what I'm saying. It's it, there's some there's yeah. some intrinsic yeah. motivational force right. that when you wake up, it's what comes into your mind at first. It's the thing you can't not do. Oh. Um, now I think that the organizations today typically don't even recognize this energy source, right? They don't, they don't even try to understand what, what is that kind of intrinsic motivation that compels people to want to move forward. Mm-hmm. And I think if organizations could learn how to unlock, they'd be unstoppable. And yet mm-hmm. most of the discretionary effort that sits inside organizations today is, is basically locked up. It's locked up in engagement scores as low as only 15 to 20% of people According to Gallup, you know, show up, they, they, they get up early in the morning and put on their clothes and, and they're fired up to go to work. Mm. What that means is 80% of them, four out of five, aren't. Yeah. That you know, if you think about that on a global scale, world. that's like, you know, Russia, China and Europe not showing up to work every day. Yeah. Right. It's literally that many people who are essentially, quote unquote, going through the motions. And I think that that's a huge shame. So what do you do to attract top talent? I mm-hmm. think is you create that right sense of energy. You figure out how to unlock the discretionary effort. That requires that you have a superhero culture. Uh, and that superhero culture is not about me, the superhero. It's about the superhero and everybody else by knowing what it is that derives meaning for them. Right. And, and then that means you would move into a culture of aspiration. We're seeking this particular shared objective alignment that we we're aligned around it but we're also we're also complementary it's not like we're all the same it's that we yes. bring a diversity of perspective around how to achieve that autonomy which is uh, now that i know that it's go and do what you and only you can uniquely do to help achieve that aspiration uh, and accountability and be true to yourself and to others in, in delivering what you say you will do so that we can collectively move forward so if you get those four um, mm-hmm. alignment around an aspiration and then autonomy and accountability. You pick up one side of the sticker, you pick up the other. What you get is what I call an instant enterprise, an enterprise that can instantly respond Mm. to any particular situation. We can turn on a dime, right? Mm. And that's what we're really looking for is an agile enterprise because in in, in today's world, the the average age of a company over the last 25 years on the S&P, on the Standards & Poor's, has moved from 62 years old to 35 years old. Wow. Half of the Fortune 500 companies that were on the list in 2000 are no longer here today. So companies mm-hmm. are kind of, they're, they're suffering their own epidemic, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, and they're kind of falling off the board. And, and that's because they, they fail to understand how to unlock the discretionary effort within people. So at the end of the day, that's a very long-winded answer, Joey. I think <laughs> no, it comes down, I love I think it. It comes I love down it. to energy. Comes yeah, down to because the tapping of that discretionary effort, if you will, yeah, must also be the key to reducing team turnover because these teams wake yeah. up in the morning ready to go with their discretionary mm-hmm. effort and uh, bring their unique contribution to the relationships there at work and go do something significant. That's right. And I think, you know, we see this and I, I look outside of business yeah. a lot just to try to understand these qualities, you know, sure. and sports teams obviously um, yeah. are, are one where you kind of see this this kind of dynamic playing. You're not going to talk about Duke basketball here, are you? 
I could if you wanted me to. Uh, um, <laughs> By the way, yeah, I'll, give, I'll give you one. I'll give you one example if you could, you know, get some Carolina barbecue and eat it, you know. But but I'll give you an example of Shane Battier, right? So Shane obviously was was revered in college, and everybody thought he's great. And then when he went to the pros. Everyone's like, oh, he never quite panned out like we thought he would. You know, he just never really just okay. didn't quite make it in the NBA, blah, blah, blah. His stats are, are terrible. Now, now, you know, in terms of his stats, how many rebounds he had and how many this, that, and the other things, yeah. Uh, yeah, blocks yeah. and so on and so forth. However, if you stand back and you looked at every team that Shane joined okay. and you looked at the collective output, which is winning and getting yep. into playoffs and getting right. into finals, it rose dramatically. So in this instance, we were measuring the wrong thing. We were measuring Shane's stats as opposed to measuring the overall performance of the team. So mm. he was invisible individually, but he was indispensable collectively. Mm. That's a superhero in my language. You know what I mean? It's like it, yeah. there being there really mattered to the overall team. He was almost invisible through the kind of individual stats that we might look at. And, and I think it's those type of people Hmm. Uh, I call them catalysts. A catalyst from a from a you know the chemical reaction. A catalyst right. is something that kind of makes a reaction happen faster without hmm. without using overusing resource. Right? It accelerates hmm. things uh, efficiently, if you will. Mm -hmm. That's the definition of a catalyst. I think that's what the people who have discretionary effort, who are sitting with the, within the organization, mm -hmm. who truly have the followership of others. Uh, that's another thing. Mm -hmm. Rob Cross looked at. You know, when you look at organizational network analysis, you can ask a, a really profound question that that kind of opened up a huge new window for me, which is, if your organization is about to go into some serious situation, I don't know, emergent acquisition or a disruptive technology or a competitive move, whatever it is, you know, you're, mm -hmm. you're about to hit the white water. Your company was, uh, you know, smooth sailing, but now it's about to go over the cliff kind of thing. Uh, who would you follow? Who would you follow? And it's wow. very interesting. You know, we've done this now many, many times, but on average, 30% of the people that the people say they would follow are not on any succession planner or chart. Wow. Isn't that interesting? 30%? 30%. That's a huge so number. It's a huge number. So what does that mean? Well, number one, it means that our kind of traditional leadership development succession planning is somewhat flawed because hmm. 40% of the people are not on the succession plan. So 40% of the, those who are in the hierarchy are not even recognized as somebody I'd follow. And then there's 30% outside the hierarchy who are, right? So there's something. But the other thing is that you have an inbuilt cadre of leaders who people have already voted with their feet and said, I will follow. And to me, that's the definition of leadership. There's only one requirement Mm. for leadership to exist. And that's you have somebody who follows you. When I walk my dog every day, mm -hmm. Reese is leading half the time and I'm leading <laughs> half the time, but you know, she probably, but she, you know, so, so, she, so, so that's yeah. what leadership is. I'm following. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think followership is the precondition to leadership. And I think that by understanding who you'll follow, then if you go a little deeper, why would you follow? It's because of these same traits. It's that I listen, it's that I understand. I know what your just cause is. I can find a place for you to allow that kind of intrinsic motivation to come alive. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to dictate to you how to do it, but I'm going to create a patch for you to be able to exercise that because that's fulfilling for you. Mm -hmm. And guess what? In doing it, you're going to do it better than anybody else because you're intrinsically motivated to do it. Right. And so the superheroes understand how to put together the multiple just causes into an overall whole. That's that's literally unstoppable. That's wow. a very different, very different mental model of what it means to be a middle manager yeah. than what we currently think about. We currently think about middle managers as the dinosaurs we need to get rid of with technology. <laughs> I actually yeah, think we that uh, we need to flip that equation around. I, I think that we need to think of them as center leaders that are dynamos that propel the organization forward through human mm -hmm. interaction.
Mm, Tony O'Driscoll is my guest today. Everyday Superheroes, the book, Work Positive Nation. If you're on the Peloton or you're walking your Reese, or in my case, Maggie mm-hmm. May right now, uh, don't worry. Uh, the, you'll find the book in the show notes for this particular podcast on our website at workpositive.today. So it occurs to me listening to you that we traditionally are measuring the wrong things mm-hmm. in culture. Because we're missing 30% of the people that are true leaders, right? And that the rest of the team, they're the everyday superheroes. And the rest of the team would run through a wall for them. How Mm -hmm. do we change the metrics by which we measure leadership and success on teams? Yeah, well, I I think, you know, it's back to Kurt Lewin and you get what you measure. And I I think to a certain extent, we become beholden to metrics just because we because we become desensitized to them. I mean, I'll go back to the Gallup data. Right. If 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 you look at global engagement scores, you know, and 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 I am fully engaged at work. It means I'm fired up. I show up. I kind of, you know, all know about the Pareto rule. Twenty percent of the people do 80 percent of the work and, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Why are we resigned to that? Mm. Why are we like, oh, gosh, we've moved our engagement scores from 15 to 20. Why do we get excited about that? I mean, it's kind of, yeah, why? So so, so relative, (laughs) you know, four on 15 is a big move, but you've still gotten to 20. That means four four out of five people who show up, who walk through your doors each day are essentially figuring out which barbecue place to go eat at that night. And that's their biggest decision of the day. You know what I mean? Right. Exactly. The walking dead. And so I I kind of feel... <laughs> Working dead, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, or well, either way, I, I had a um, a friend of mine who who was he became the the digital transformation officer for a very large financial services firm, uh-huh. and he he he, uh, he he used to refer to the company as dead company walking. It's like oh, it's still wow. going through, it's still going through the motions. It doesn't realize it's walking towards a cliff, right? Mm-hmm. And I I think to a certain extent we become desensitized a little bit. I think we need a whole scale. A whole scale redefinition of kind of everything. Number one, I don't think, I think we have leadership wrong. We tend to think about leadership as a person in a position. We think about leadership as a noun, not a verb. I think mm-hmm. every organization, an organization's got a CRM system. It's got an MRP system. It's got a supply chain system. It also has a leadership system. Whether we want to believe that or not, it's true. And if you think about informal, it, right? correct, it's back to that informal network. And I think mm-hmm. that the you know, just like a, a human body has a central nervous system, I think that the leadership system in an organization that is more like an organism than a machine, we tend to think of organizations as machines, like let's pull this lever or push this mm-hmm. button and we'll get the outcome we want. Mm-hmm. That's not how organizations work today. They can't because the world is far more complex than that. So now I think organizations are evolving into more like organisms and we're dealing with mm-hmm. digital Darwinism and we're trying to figure out our niche and how to how to mm-hmm. succeed. The other thing I believe very strongly from Charles Handy, a fellow Irishman, is that, you know, organizations are nothing but people. If all the people on on the planet vanished today, there's nothing that organizations would do. They're just inert pieces of furniture or computers that, you know, so so literally humans breathe life into the organization. Mm. Um, and, and I feel paradoxically that it's it's those that sit in the middle of the organization that are the ones that have the best perspective on how to propel the organization forward. They sit yeah. between strategy and results. They know if the strategy that's coming down from on high is not going to work before the people on high know. Because they're like, oh, yeah, I'm hearing from the floor. Right. In my book, Everyday Superhero, that, that, that's the whole story. Is you know, The the mucks, the bosses, are kind of trying to impose change upon the masses. Mm. And Rizzo, every character has a name, Rizzo, Rizzo and Reason. He's the voice of Reason. He's like, this isn't going to happen in a month of Sundays. 
Mm-hmm. So people have already kind of dismissed this strategy as something that clearly wasn't developed by anybody who knows what's going on down here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they sit between strategy and results. And therefore, if there's a feedback loop that goes back up, it's like, hey, boss, let me tell you, let's not waste any money right now because I can tell you it ain't going to work. And and that's also very uh, important because 70% of strategies don't get executed. Well, they do. You know, organizations <laughs> fail to make the changes required to implement their strategy 70 to 80% of the time. Mm. Now, think about that. Mm. Think about that for a second, right? Uh, that's not because the strategies aren't good. It's because they don't get executed. Or they do get executed. The word executed in the English language means two things, to do or to kill. And unfortunately, the vast majority of strategies, no matter how beautifully crafted in the mahogany office with the same consulting firm I talked about earlier on, um, they don't get to see the light of day because because people can make the organization stop or go. And they'll go, uh yep, I I see your lips moving, Mr. (laughs) <laughs> and this ain't going to happen in a month of Sundays. No. And who, where are we going for barbecue tonight? Yeah. And, <laughs> right. and, and this too shall pass. And three years from now, they'll be gone. And the next crowd will right. come in. That's right. I'll initiative. Right. Correct. It's DOA. Correct. Oh, it's and who knows better? Who has the early week detection signal? To me, it's the center leaders. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, throw the flag, call BS, whatever you want to do, but say, yep. let's save the money now because this is DOA. Rather than letting it perpetuate, because that's a hugely expensive endeavor, mm. right? Mm. Um, oh, so I think the really early – and then secondly is – so you sit between the, those center leaders. They sit between strategy and results, right? They sit between aspiration and alignment. They can mm. tell you straight away that the strategic aspiration, there's no alignment around it. And now that happens for two reasons. Either people don't know why. They don't know why we're doing it. They don't know the reason, mm. you know, the mm-hmm. right – or secondly, they disagree with it. They, they don't believe it can actually be accomplished. Yeah. The center leader is in the best position to understand that. Secondly, center leaders, they sit between the culture and the people. Mm. They know what the culture can absorb and what the culture will absorb, and they know what it will reject. Mm. And more specifically, they know which people are the people they would need to put on this team in order to make it happen in the first place, because it goes back to they're closer to the people, understand their sense of meaning, and can kind of uh, put together the right team Mm. that's got a big battery full of discretionary effort that would be unstoppable to go after it. Mm. So at the end of the day, um, I'm a huge believer that center leaders are not dinosaurs, they are dynamos. And if you don't have the right you know, a uh, central nervous system of right. our leadership network of center leaders who really have the pulse, the heartbeat of the of the business, you know, mm-hmm. uh, front and center, you're DOA no matter what. Mm-hmm. So you've just described my organization, right? I'm a listener and, and you've just described my organization. How do we free or empower these center leaders mm-hmm. to communicate, to communicate up and down? and Mm -hmm. be heard Mm -hmm. that starts with senior leadership okay so unless and until senior leadership is willing to let go to grow none of this happens and let go of what let go of control right and so (laughs) so, there that's right and so it, it, it takes a very enlightened leader to recognize that the kind of the mechanics and dynamics of the business are such that Hmm. they don't know everything, right? In fact, if you think about the organization, I kind of think about it like if you think about the organization, you look at it like a hierarchy, Mm -hmm. you know, you can see it like this, like a pyramid and the the chief executives on top. But if you you go around and you look at it from the top down, 
Uh, it's almost like a whole set of concentric rings. You know what I mean? The, the mm -hmm. CEO sits in the middle and there's all these layers of management before you get out to the coal face where the company is engaging with a customer, the company is engaging with a supplier, the company is engaging back into the supply chain, and the company is engaging with, with, with even perhaps with competitors. Mm -hmm. And, it, and the, real, the real action is at the edge of the enterprise. The real action is at that coal face or that interface between the firm and whatever stakeholder you're dealing with. And in a way... The chief executive is largely cocooned through layers of, of mm. kind of bureaucracy from from what's happening. So there's a dampening effect. Um, and and mm. as fast as organizations have to move today, if everything has to go through all those layers and then up into the lap of that chief executive, and then a decision needs to be made and it needs to get pushed back down and out, it's too late. The market's already moved. Again, uh, Peter Drucker has a great saying about this. Joey, wait a minute. Uh, oh yes, here we go. It's always good to have a prop. Joey, <laughs> right. did you know that bottlenecks are at the top of the bottle? Mm. Think about it that way, right? Mm. So so I think today, today organizations are knowledge-based organizations, right? And so essentially they're 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 decision factories. So mm. the companies that succeed the best are the ones that decide the fastest mm. and then respond the quickest. Mm. That doesn't happen by having something at the edge come into the hierarchy, move up through the hierarchy, wait for the next board meeting, have everybody decide, and then transmit it back through the layers of management and back out to the edge. Mm. That's a losing game. That's yeah, a losing game. Out before it gets to the top. <laughs> Correct. Correct. And sometimes it doesn't make it to the top, depending mm. on how amenable those at the top are to hearing bad news. So there's well, another, there's a psychological issue there, which is, you know, do I want to risk my job? to be the bearer of bad news to the person, you know, living cocooned within four or five or six or seven or That's 10 right. or 21 or 56 right. layers of kind of, you know, bureaucracy. Because right. how many, oh, geez, what, five, six, seven, sometimes a dozen layers of gatekeepers Correct. in between that center leader and the C-suite. So you can't get the information back up there if you want to, because there are too many turf battles and too many people protecting their little kingdoms. It just and so again, but that falls back on protecting my position. Yes. See, this is again back to the definition of leadership. So I think leadership is a. I think of leadership as a system. L A A S. Leadership as a system, uh -huh. and the system is a network, not a hierarchy. Mm. And the network is defined by those who are closest to the particular decision that needs to get made, and mm. who know who to attract around that decision. Who who would be the best equipped? to answer it. That comes from diversity of perspective, being able to see things differently. And also then intrinsic just cause to be able to contribute, to want to, to contribute to this. You know, mm -hmm. Google yeah, innovation is a big thing at the moment and everybody's saying we need to innovate more and what are we going to do? Sure. And Google has this kind of 20% rule. They used yeah. to. Now we're starting to lay off so they're questioning this whole 20% rule <laughs> thing. You know, 45, 45 different cafeterias inside the Google Plex. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. And I think that's one part. There's a policy piece that says, yes, we want you right. to. But there's a whole another part where you need to understand who 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 should come together around this and how might we, mm -hmm. you know, take three or four different ideas and push it forward in, in, in a meaningful way. Mm -hmm. That's where I think the center leader really, really shines is, is understanding how to coordinate capability and energy around endeavor and to do that in a very opportunistic way without having to ask permission. Mm -hmm. That's the other thing. Yeah. What does letting go of control mean? It means that people out there at the edge will be making choices mm. without asking you permission. They're empowered to go into Correct. Now, now empowered is an important word. And I'd love, I'd love to, if, if you'll indulge me here in a sure. little history lesson, um, Mary Parker Follett, one of my favorite organizational 
psychologist, and she wasn't called that back then, in 1914 wrote the following words. Wow. 1914. Yeah. Leadership is not defined by the exercise of power, but by the capacity to increase the sense of power among those led. Oh, wow. You see? So, I mean, I think that that has gotten uh, condensed down into the word empowerment. But I think when you unpack it, certainly mm. through her perspective, that's rich. I think that's what a center leader does. A center mm. leader does not exercise his or her power, mm. but they increase the capacity for others to feel, mm. right, that, that they have the autonomy to go do what they and only they can do because they feel they have a just cause to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. And accountability ships with the freight. Mm. You know what I mean? It, it, I can't not do it. It will get done yes. because yes. it's just so. Yeah. Right. Uh, uh, and we've all morning, had this right? feeling. We've had all, we've all had this feeling. Chixamahali, you know, is the most famous to have talked about this, but it, it's flow. It's that sense of yeah. flow. Right now. I was on a podcast yesterday and um, people noted the irony of this, but I'll do it just for giggles. But I said, yeah. you know, uh, all of us would love to know what it feels like to leave the court, you know, and go up in the air and dunk the ball like Michael Jordan with our tongue hanging out. And yes, I did say Michael Jordan. I mean, you know, if you, <laughs> oh. see, if you just look at that player and you, know you just you look at that experience. Though, right. I mean, you I know that's what I'm saying. That's the irony. <laughs> of it all. But, but, but that's flow. It's like and actually, if you look at flow, flow is a very interesting thing in terms of how it works in our brain is that you know, there's a point in time where you stop thinking. Yeah. You stop. You stop weighing things out. You stop and you just do it back to nike just yeah. do it like that's the state of flow is when you yeah. you've taken everything into account but now boom you're just in execution mode and by mm. this i mean doing not killing you are you are yeah. you are executing what you've seen in your mind's eye i feel that that kind of flow mm. is driven by true center leaders who are mm. superheroes uh, and who recognize the superhero and others and create the milieu to allow those superpowers to emerge around mm. something that's a just cause. Mm. So it's a very human. And I wrote in the book, the, the book itself, Everyday Superheroes, there's a framework inside of it, the people-centered transformation. And my advoc advocacy is that we need to be very, very people-centered in how we think about leading and how we think about changing moving forward. My one-liner on that is, um, I think we put the tangible cart in front of the emotional horse. So whenever we're going to try and change something these days, there's a new CEO and they're going to put in a new structure or they're going to put in yeah. a process or they're going to put in a new be technology that has a process and we're going to measure our compliance on the use of this particular tool. And when we get to 100%, we'll achieve nirvana and the stock will go up. Yeah. No, it doesn't. That's what I mean by the structural, we, we, the things we can measure, back to your mm -hmm. question about those things we can measure, we're 50% implemented on blah, 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 or da, 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 our compliance is such and such and so and so, without ever asking anybody why. And the research is super clear on this. Martin Reeves and his team at BCG, look, first and foremost, human beings don't resist change, right? We're here. The dinosaurs aren't. We're adaptive creatures. <laughs> we have a prefrontal cortex. We're homo sapiens. We've learned how to actually, you know... Uh, we're not as strong as lions. We, we're not, a, you know, but we learn how to climb a tree, you know. Yeah. So, so we we inherently are a species that has survived everything because yes. we adapt. So there's no question that human beings, you know, they don't resist change. What they resist is being changed. They resist uh -huh. being changed. Okay. Right. And so, if you put the structural yeah. cart in front of the horse, you're right. saying you will now 
be in this box, not that box. Got you will it. now adhere to this process, not that process. You will now use this software, not that software. Mm. And what you get is malicious compliance. Mm. Mm. You get, yeah. okay, you're yeah. the boss of me. That's right. I, got I will do exactly what you did. Think about this just for a second. Right? Imagine for one second that every single person in the organization, whatever organization you're in, mm. did exactly everything that was written on their job description and not one thing more, not one thing more <laughs> and would expect full compensation for doing that. Just think about how insane that actually really is. If you Absolutely. think about it, right. Yep. So there's obviously something beyond the task. Yes. There's something. And that's, that's what I'm trying to get back to. I'm trying to get back to don't get rid of middle managers because they're dino dinosaurs. Mm. They're the human sinew. They're the they're mm. the they're the they're the they're the they're the ones who weave the human fabric together to unlock discretionary effort. And there's there's no AI tool out there that can do that. So if we want to become more compliant around task, perhaps we should get rid of middle managers and cut out that layer and help the balance sheet look good so our stock price can go up. Mm. But if we want to have a vibrant community of people with a shared aspiration and a just cause who are mm. unstoppable because they can't not do it, mm. then don't get rid of middle managers. Mm. So Turn them so into we, center leaders. We, we hold shareholders and stakeholders in equal regard. A hundred percent. I mean, I think I think that's one thing, you know, a lot of students, um, you know, Duke is, is, is quite a well-known school in, in terms of, you know, as a business school, it's, it's well ranked and so on and so forth. But the thing is, it's a very young school. Mm. You know, our original dean still walks the hall, so to speak. Um, wow. So we're, we're, we're new to the game. And when we came to the game, we came to the game with a stakeholder perspective. Duke. Fuqua has always been a stakeholder perspective, not a shareholder perspective. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. So a lot of us who are faculty are kind of attracted to that that particular mm -hmm. positioning. I, th I think the world's moving our way. I think, mm -hmm. you know, with, with the, what we've seen with the business roundtable, some of the data we're seeing now coming back about, you know, the, the, the trickle down, the, the Friedman kind of 1970s argument that Thatcher and Reagan kind of took hook, line, and sinker right. doesn't necessarily show. And I think there's a fair amount of empirical evidence now. I would point to Roger Martin's more is not enough being the best treatment, I think, of just looking at that and how we've gone into a power law distribution where where we've got massive inequalities and 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 and, and wealth is accruing to the wealthier more and more and more. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's not a good outcome. So I do I do feel that organizations kind of lost their way too. They became instruments for people to you know to have paper entrepreneurship. Right. Yeah, let me buy it, it, it. It's those who have wealth above wage who can invest in the likes of Facebook that truly generate wealth, whereas those who just earned a wage are probably no better off now than they were 20 years ago. And that's happening on the back of businesses or enterprises where mo more of the energy is around the stock price mm. than there is what, what the strategy is, who we're putting to work, what we're hoping to achieve. And so I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping that, you know, we're seeing a big revival now of purpose. Mm. Uh, Ranjay Gulati, I think, has done the best, best work on this recently out of Harvard, where it's like, you know, it's back to that meaning, right? You go all the way back to Dan Pink, you know, yeah. autonomy, mastery, and purpose, right? In his right. book, Drive. Mm -hmm. I call that amping people up. Discretionary effort, how do I amp people up? Mm. Purpose, I have to understand their sense of purpose and how it connects to my organization. Mm. Uh, mastery and autonomy, I need to give them the power to be able to do what they want to do yes. and not over go for them. Just let them do it, right? So that <laughs> right. they can develop mastery. And so if you do that, you've got this positive virtuous triangle of purpose, mastery, autonomy that drives up discretion. Mm. 
The the alternate to that is fear, reward, and recognition. I'm your boss. I have position power over you. I have coercive power over you. If you don't do exactly what I say, even though you won't like it, um, then I can you know, damp down all of that intrinsic motivation that you have. Yes. And I think, you know, the, the evidence is pretty clear right now. 85% is SAP and 15% mm. is ZAP. I think we need to mm. completely reverse that equation. And that happens through leading from the middle out. I think that leadership is a system. It's a network of relationships. And it happens by leading from the middle out around the areas that matter. And, and the people who are the most important nodes in that network are not the ones at the top of the hierarchy, but the ones in the middle. The center leaders, right? So it sounds like to me, the center leaders are the bankers of meaning because that's the money. I like it. Yeah, I I think that's right. I like like that. I'm going to steal that one. I'm going to steal that one. Theft is the most sincere form of flattery there, Joey. Yeah. (laughs) Tony O'Driscoll is my guest on this episode of the Work Positive Podcast. Tony, man, this is thrilling and, and so stimulating to hear you share so much information that we can directly apply today. Somebody in Work Positive Nation is going to want to get in touch with you. Uh, We know they can go to Amazon or wherever fine books are sold, Mm -hmm. pick up Everyday Superhero. Uh, Is there a website we can go to? Yeah. So most of my writing and a lot of my talks I put up on complexsimple.com, C-O-M-P-L-E-X-I-M-P-L-E, complexsimple.com. I'm most of my work over the last five or six years has kind of been trying to find the simplicity on the other side of complexity as it relates mm. to organizations and leadership. Um, mm. oh most my of my stuff can be found there. Yeah. And that URL, Work Positive Nation, is in the show notes. So you can go right there and click it. Uh, if, again, you're walking Reese, or in my case, Maggie May. By the way, Maggie May and Reese might be related because she mm-hmm. leads me around too. <laughs> there you go. There you so, go. So Work Positive Nation always wants to know one thing from my guest. Mm. And that one thing is, what can Work Positive Nation do today, right now? What one thing can they do to start creating a positive work culture now? Well, I I would honestly point to to the book because what I, I spent you know two years really digging into it, and um, uh-huh. I have I have a ten. Uh, here's what I'll say: Take your PCT pulse, and 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 that's a ten. 10 questions. You know, our leaders communicate clear and concise, consistent, compelling narrative that makes purposeful, passionate, and emotionally resonant case for change. That's one. There's 10 questions. Okay. Right? And by by being very clear about, you know, your leadership inside your organization. I don't mean leaders, I mean leadership. So that could be the mm-hmm. CEO all the way, all the way through the leadership right. system. Uh, you can kind of get a pulse and kind of figure out the chiropractic of, oh, wow, maybe we need to work on the discretionary effort part, or we need to work mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. the agency part, or we need to work on the catalyzing part. So what I tried to do over the two years that I was doing the research for this book was kind of distill it out into the 10 diagnostic questions that matter the most, mm-hmm. and that's called the PCT pulse. So that would be the first place I would start is to try to figure out, you know, where might we need a little bit of leadership chiropractic in our organization to unlock discretionary effort? All right. And that's in the book, Everyday Superhero. Absolutely. You can get Work Positive Nation wherever fine books are sold. Tony, thank you so much. I've learned so much today. I appreciate your sharing not only of knowledge, but of wisdom. Because, man, that's what we're really looking for today, right, is to to understand where lies the simple 
on the other side of the complexities so that we can begin putting them into practice today mm-hmm. and moving our organizations in ways that they fulfill their mission. And we as individual contributors make our unique contributions and find our alignment of our actions with our purpose for being here. So thank you so much. Tony O'Driscoll, Work Positive Nation. Go get your copy of Everyday Superheroes today. Tony, thank you so much. Thanks so much, Joey. It's fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Work Positive Podcast. Please share this podcast with your friends who are HR and small business leaders so they can do one thing today to create a positive work culture that increases productivity and profits. I'd like to give you a free Work Positive course just for listening. It's called Something to Talk About, and it's transformed the work conversations of so many people all over the world. Get your free copy when you go to workpositive.today slash something to talk about, and you can start transforming your conversations today. Remember, it pays to work positive.